Well, in 1984, a woman by the name of Tina Turner rocketed to the top of the pop music charts with her hit song, What's Love Got to Do With It? If you're familiar with uh, Miss Turner's song, she sings in the song, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's love but a secondhand emotion? She goes on and sings, What's love got to do with it? What's love but a, a sweet old fashioned notion? What's love? You know, it's interesting that our, our world was so drawn to this song. Billboard magazine called it one of the top songs of the decade of the 80s, number 34, best song of the decade. Bill, uh, Rolling Stone magazine labeled it one of the top 500 songs of the last century, asking the question, What's love? What's love got to do with it? Well, friends, the Apostle John would answer that question very clearly. The Apostle John would say, everything. What's love got to do with it? Everything. That's the point. That's the essence of our faith as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God. Love, loving one another is the essence. In our passage this morning, we're going to see the Apostle John answer the question, what does it mean for us as children of God to be devoted to one another in love? If you were here with us last week, we, we started looking at John's description of, of what it means to be a child of God. And, and we're seeing how John is distinguishing true followers of Jesus Christ from, from those in his day who had abandoned the faith, who were, who were promoting heresy and leading others astray. And so John wanted to affirm the followers of Christ in his church. He wanted to encourage them in their faith and help them to understand what does it truly mean to be a child of God. And so last week we began by looking at the five features of a child of God that John highlights here in chapters 2 and 3. And point number five last week that we ended on was that John said that a child of God will be one who is devoted to other believers in love. We will be devoted to one another in love. And so today we're going to pick up on that theme and we're going to see how John shares with us how we actually go about living out love as children of God. What, what does that look like in our lives? And so in our passage this morning, what we're going to see are, are three principles that John highlights for us to understand how do we as children of God best live out love in our faith community with our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we live out love in, in a world that is often opposed to our faith as Christians? John's going to address those issues today. So I want to read our passage this morning, and then I want to come back, and I want to look at these three principles that, that are so important and so applicable to all of our lives as children of God. Let's read together from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. I'm going to read. You can follow along on the screens or in your own Bibles. John begins our section this morning saying this, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother? And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with words or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. It's an interesting passage here where John teaches what it means to live out love as children of God. And in our passage this morning, I want to highlight three key principles that, that John raises here for us today. John talks about a, a child of God living out love. What will that look like? Number one, John tells us that a child of God living out love will reject the antithesis of love. Will reject the antithesis of love. The, the early church father, Jerome, the, the translator of the Latin Vulgate, one of the great early apologists of the Christian faith. In his commentary on the book of Galatians, Jerome has an interesting story about the apostle John in his later years. He writes in his commentary on Galatians, and I quote, the blessed John the evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church. And he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance annoyed because they always heard the same words finally said, Teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, Because it is the Lord's commandment. And if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Love one another. Love, friends, was the essence of Christ's teachings. And it was the hallmark of John's ministry. We, we've seen that already here in the book of 1 John. We see that all over in the Gospel of John. John elevates the ethic of love taught by Jesus Christ as the hallmark of the children of God. John begins our passage this morning in verse 11 by saying, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the very beginning, from the, from the first moment Christ appeared on earth as the Messiah, throughout his teachings, throughout the, the days that the apostles were promoting the gospel in the early church, from the time these early believers first embraced Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Friends, from the time you first grew up in the faith, from the very beginning, these are the words that you have heard. Love one another. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the essence of our faith as Christians. 
Now, it's an interesting word when you think about love and the concept of love. You know, we're all familiar with it, right? I mean, we use the word all the time. But what exactly is love? How, how would you define love? Our church staff is, is currently doing a book study together. We often read a book together and discuss a chapter at a time in our staff meetings on Tuesday mornings. And we're currently doing a book study, uh, a book called Feels Like Home by Pastor Lee Eklov. He's a fellow free church pastor. And it's a great book talking about what it means to be the body of Christ, titled Feels Like Home. I'd, I'd encourage you to check it out if you're interested. But in his book, Pastor Eklov offers a, a very helpful description of love. He describes love as being like a coat of many colors. If you're familiar with Joseph and the story of the coat of many colors, right? Pastor Eklov says that's what love is like. It's like a coat of many colors. He writes in pages 63 and 64, love is always more multifaceted than it seems. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 describes love's coat of many colors. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now friends, I think Pastor Eklov's description of love as this, this code of many colors is a very good description. You see, God calls us as children of God to, to live out these various virtues in our lives. And these virtues that we're called to live out are like the colors, while love is the coat that binds them all together. Love is the coat that holds these virtues together, friends. And so when John tells us here in verse 11 of our passage, love one another. Love one another. Well, what does that look like? Well, loving one another, friends, will look like a community of brothers and sisters whose lives are marked by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have your coat on today? When people look at your lives, when, when your brothers and sisters look at you today, do they see and experience the virtues of love lived in your life and through your life? And if not, I want to encourage you this morning to pay careful attention to, to God's message for us today. Because God has a word for us today on what it means to live out love as his children. Now to help us illustrate the love we're called to as children of God, John continues our passage this morning in verse 12 by pointing out a clear contrast for us. He, he highlights for us the antithesis of Christian love. If you have your Bibles, look again at verse 12. John says, love one another, not as Cain, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now here John takes us all the way back to the very beginnings of human history. He takes us back to Genesis chapter 4, to the story of Cain and Abel, the, the first children of Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 4, we read this story of Cain and Abel bringing offerings to the Lord. 
Cain was a farmer and he brought the first fruits of his crop. Abel was a shepherd. He brought the, the choice flock, a choice of his flock to the Lord. And they brought these offerings before God. And Genesis tells us, and our passage this morning tells us, that, that God was pleased with Abel's offering, but displeased with Cain's. Now, we don't know exactly why that is. The Bible doesn't tell us. We, we don't know if it was the offering itself. We don't know if it was the motive in Cain's heart. We don't know if it was the way he presented the offering. The Bible just says God was displeased with Cain, but he was pleased with Abel. Well, what happened as a result of this? Cain became bitter. He became jealous. He became envious of his brother. He began to harbor hatred in his heart towards his brother. And he eventually murdered his brother Abel. And here John uses this as an illustration for us today. This is the antithesis of love, friends. This is the opposite of what God has called us to. See, John uses this illustration this morning because he wants, to, wants us to understand the opposite of what true Christian love looks like. And friends, the antithesis of Christian love looks like selfishness. It looks like envy. It looks like hatred. And all of these, John says, are inspired by the evil one, the devil. And so, friends, while the world is often characterized by these perverse values, John says to us, the children of God, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. Don't fall into the warped and twisted values of this fallen world. Love one another. Live out love. Now, in illustrating the antithesis of love, John goes on in verse 13. He says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. You know, it's really interesting. I, I find many Christians today are often overly sensitive and sometimes even shocked when we face hostility from the world. Oh, oh my gosh. The world's opposed to me as a Christian. Friends, John says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Why would we be surprised, friends, when unsaved people act like unsaved people? But John is saying here to us, look, you guys are the children of God. You're called to love. But the world, they don't know God. In fact, John says they rejected him. So don't be surprised, friends, if they hate you. Don't be shocked if they reject you, too. And in reminding us of this reality, friends, John is doing nothing more than echoing the very teachings of Jesus himself. Remember what Jesus taught in John 15, verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, if the world hates you, friends, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Friends, Jesus said, don't be surprised when you face persecution, when you face opposition from this world. You see, the message of the cross, friends, 
The message of the gospel is an offensive message to an unbelieving world. You see, what is the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel says you're a sinner. The heart of the gospel says you stink. You stink in God's sight. You reek in his nostrils of rebellion, of dissension, of straying from his will. God in his holiness and his righteousness cannot stand our sin and rebellion. And friends, that's a message people don't like to hear. Don't tell me I'm a rebel. Don't tell me I stink. Don't tell me that I stand in opposition to God. The world doesn't want to hear that message. But then the gospel goes on in its offense and saying, look it, not only do you stink in your rebellion as a sinner, but you can't do anything about it. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. And to an unbelieving world, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean I can't do anything? What do you mean all my righteous acts are like filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God? And so the message of the gospel, friends, is, a, is an inherently offensive message to the world. And not only is the message offensive, but friends, a follower of Jesus seeking to walk in righteousness is going to be offensive to the world. Friends, when you walk out into the world seeking to live faithfully for Jesus, you're going to stand in opposition to a world living in rebellion. You're going to be like a bright light shining in a dark room. Friends, have you ever been in a dark room and somebody all of a sudden shines a flashlight in your eyes? What happens, right? You're blinded and it hurts. You don't like it. Why? Because the darkness doesn't like the light. And when you seek to live out righteousness in your lives, friends, you're like a shining light in a world whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this age, according to the Apostle Paul. So don't be surprised when the world hates you. We saw an interesting example of this just recently with the Women's World Cup soccer team. Many of us were, were following the Women's World Cup soccer team, and everyone in, in our nation was obviously excited and thrilled when they won the World Cup recently. But there was a player on that team who you wouldn't have heard about in the celebrations of the World Cup. One young woman by the name of Jaylene Hinkle. If you go back to the last slide, please. Jaylene Hinkle there on the bottom right is known as the best defensive soccer player in our nation today. She plays for the North Carolina professional team. She's the number one defender in the nation. But when Miss Hinkle found out that in the games leading up to the World Cup, the U.S. women's national team was going to be required to wear rainbow jerseys in support of LGBTQ pride, Miss Hinkle, as an evangelical follower of Jesus Christ, in her heart just couldn't go along with that. When she told the coach that I can't wear the jersey, she was dismissed from the team. They, they claimed that it was for soccer reasons that she was dismissed. But that same week, her teammates on social media stated things like this, Ashlyn Harris, the goalie of the U.S. Women's National Team. Hinkle, our team is about inclusion. Your religion was never the problem. The problem is your intolerance, and you are homophobic. You don't belong in a sport that aims to unite people and bring people together. You would never fit into our pack or what this team stands for. Friends, Miss Hinkle has never done anything but respond to her teammates with absolute grace and love. In fact, uh, a lesbian player on her pro team 
when this took place, came out in Hinkle's defense and said that she has never been anything but absolutely kind and gracious and respectful to me. But it's very interesting, her teammate, your religion was never the problem. Friends, this is what the world is trying to say to Christians today. You do whatever you want Sunday morning in your church, good for you. But don't dare try to bring your faith out into the public sphere. Don't you dare try to live out your Christianity in everyday life. And I find it ironic that she opens her statement here, our team is about inclusion, and yet you don't belong. <laughs> Friends, don't be surprised when the world hates you, John says. The world may hate us for our faith, but how are we to respond? Not in kind, but in love. To her credit, Miss Hinkle has been a model of Christian charity in this very difficult situation. Recently, in an interview on the 700 Club, Miss Hinkle said, I knew that I was essentially giving up my little girl dream. And it was very disappointing, she said. And I think that's where the peace trumps the disappointment. Because I knew in my spirit I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. Friends, that's what Christian love looks like. It looks like the Apostle Peter's admonitions to us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, starting in verse 8, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Friends, the Apostle Peter here echoes John, John's words to love. He says we need to be ready and faithful apologists of Jesus Christ, bearing witness to our faith with grace for our critics, righteousness in our lives, and gentleness in our defense. Now John goes on in our passage in verses 14 and 15 to, to share a very clear statement here with us, a statement on eternal security. John says here in verses 14 through 15, let me read, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, friends, John isn't saying here that a murderer can't be saved. But what he is saying here is that an unrepentant murderer will not be saved. And in the same way, someone who lives with unrepented hatred in their heart towards their brother or sister is also not bearing the marks of a genuinely saved person. See, Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 21, that if you have hatred in your heart, it's the same as if you had committed murder against that person. And so John is telling us here, look at, do you want to know if you're truly saved? The salvation, the indication of that will be evidenced by your love. Don't hate your brother. Hatred is a mark of disobedience. Hatred is a mark of rebellion. Again, it is love. That is the proof of our salvation. Love is the mark of a child of God. But here's the thing, and I think we all can acknowledge this. This kind of love that God calls us to here, 
It's not easy, is it? To love faithfully as the children of God is, is a tricky, difficult, often hard thing to do. John knows that. And so this is why John leads us to point number two this morning. John leads us to point number two. He says, a child of God living out love will look to the apex of love. This past week, I was watching NFL Network, and I, uh, I love their show, the football, A Football Life. They highlight documentaries of famous football players and coaches. This past week, they had the story of Steve Largent on. Steve Largent, at the time of his retirement, had broken every NFL receiving record in history. He ended up going to the Hall of Fame at his time as the, the best receiver in the history of football. I grew up idolizing Steve Largent. I've got Steve Largent football cards. I had the privilege of meeting him a few years ago. I got his autograph on his rookie card. It's pretty sweet. It was really interesting this week as I was looking for pictures of Steve Largent. I kept coming across pictures of him playing against the Vikings. It was funny. I don't know. But <laughs> strange. Looks like he must have set half of those records against those, uh, the Vikings there. But Steve Largent, in this documentary this past week, he made an interesting observation. He said, people used to ask me, how, how did I catch the ball so well? He was famous for having the best hands in football. And Steve Largent said that early on in his football career, he began to focus not on the ball itself, but he began to focus on the point, the tip of the football. And he said, if I could catch the tip of the football, then catching the whole ball itself was easy. And so he focused not on the ball, but on the point of the ball, the tip of the ball. And friends, it's the same way when it comes to love. You can study love all you want. You can read all the books in the library on love. You can go to all the relationship conferences. You can talk to all the counselors. But if you want to know and practice genuine love, you need to look at the apex of love. You need to look to Jesus Christ. John says in verse 16 of our passage, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And in the same way, John says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know what love is, friends? We know what love is by looking to Jesus Christ, the, the ultimate example of love, the apex of love, the, the point of love. And friends, when we look to Jesus, what do we learn of his example? When we look to the life of Christ, we see that love is, number one, obedient. Jesus was obedient to our Heavenly Father. We find that love is humble. Jesus left his throne in heaven, humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. We find that love is selfless, laying down his wants, his needs, his desires for our sake. When we look at Jesus, we find that love pursues. It never gives up. It never leaves the abandoned straying on their own. It, it pursues us in our rebellion. We, we find that love is long-suffering. We find that love is costly. Jesus gave it all. This is what love looks like. And now to make sure that we understand what Christ's love looks like as it's lived out practically in our lives, John next gives us a very real and tangible challenge. In verses 17 and 18, John says this, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, 
but indeed in truth. Now, if these words sound familiar to us, it may be the case because you recall some of our teachings from last summer's series in the book of James. Remember what the apostle James told us in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. James, very similar to John here, says, What use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. See, John calls us to live out love. Oh, that's easy, sure, I love everybody. But then he says, do you really love everybody? Are you willing to sacrifice for your brother and sister in need? No, 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 not just, not just I'm going to pray for you, friend. Not just a pat on the back, I hope things get better. But are you willing to sacrifice? Even to the point of opening your checkbook, if necessary, to provide for your friend's needs. John says this is the mark of Christian love. Last week we talked about the day of judgment when Christians will stand before the beam of seat of Christ. In verse 28 of chapter 2, John says, Abide in Christ, friends, so that when he returns, we will stand before him confident and unashamed at his coming. And we talked about how God is going to reward us for the things we did in this life. And friends, I can imagine that on that day of judgment, there will be a lot of Christians who stand before the Lord. And God will highlight the surplus in our bank accounts, all of our toys, all of our possessions. And he'll say, but what about that brother in your church? What about your sister who was barely making it? And like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, a lot of our stuff is going to be burned up. We'll be saved, but as if through fire. Because all the stuff of this life will be burned away and all that matters will be what we did in love. Love for God and love for others. At this point in my sermon, I would have used to share an illustration that you will never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Pastor Rick ruined that illustration for me earlier this year by sending me this picture. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rick. But friends, the point remains true. You might be able to hitch your U-Haul to your hearse, but I promise you, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. John tells us, look it, if you're going to live out love, it begins by caring for your brother, by caring for your sister. My dad used to say, live with eternity's values in view. Love God, love others. John says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Thirdly, in our passage this morning, John says, a child of God living out love will rest in the assurance of love. In verses 19 and 20, we find a very tricky statement to interpret. In fact, Bible translators and commentators disagree on the best way to translate these verses. I personally don't like the NASB's translation. I like the way the ESV translate these verses. And so I'm going to use the ESV here for us because I think it clarifies these verses a little better for us. 
In verses 19 and 20 of our passage, John says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Now here John reminds us again that our obedience leads to assurance. When we're living out love faithfully, we can have assurance that we are walking as children of God. But there's more than that here. We also see in these verses that John recognizes that there's going to be times in our lives, friends, when we need to assure or reassure our heart before God. Now, why would this be? Well, friends, as we all know this morning, as we're all painfully aware this morning, even in our best efforts to live out love as children of God, we often fall very short. We don't always live up to our calling faithfully. We don't always love like Jesus would call us to love. And sometimes our hearts will condemn us for that. This past week, for example, I was struggling with a condemning heart. I had heard a number of stories about friends of our church who have left Lakes Free. They've walked away from Lakes Free. They're going elsewhere. And, and, and it pained me to hear this. Because they're people I love, people I care about, people I counted as friends. And, and then I heard stories of friends who were struggling in marriage, heading towards divorce. And again, my heart condemned me. I started questioning myself. Maybe if I had just cared about them a little bit more. Maybe as a church, we didn't love them well enough. Maybe if I had just been more proactive in reaching out or if I had just sacrificed more of my time to, to reach out to them. And I was wrestling with a condemning heart. And friends, this is what John is talking about here. You see, it's like we talked about last week. Even though we're children of God, we're still works in progress. We, we still wrestle with sin in this life. We wrestle with selfishness. We wrestle with failing to live love fully as Christ loves us. And at times, our hearts may condemn us, rightly or wrongly. But John says there's a solution. He says we need to look to God. John says in verse 20, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. In other words, friends, God knows our sin. He knows our motives. He knows our failures. But he also knows the power of his atoning work in our lives. And friends, there's going to be time in all of our lives when our hearts will condemn us. But in those times, friends, we need to rest in the assurance of God's love. We need to lean on his amazing grace. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 31 through 35, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Friends, what great assurance we have in Jesus. And when we wrestle with a condemning heart, we need to fall back on that assurance. We need to lean again on God's amazing grace, trusting that God knows all things. 
He knows our hearts. And friends, look at what our assurance in Christ leads to. John concludes our passage this morning in verses 21 through 24. He says this, assurance in Christ. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Friends, John highlights three points of our assurance here. He says our assurance in Christ leads to confidence, number one, in his presence. We can enter into the presence of God in confidence because we have the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our gospel, the assurance that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. John says we can enter the presence of God in confidence in prayer. John says here that whatever we ask, we will receive. John qualifies this statement in chapter 5 by saying whatever we ask in his will. So when we pray in God's will, when we pray in accordance with God's will, we can be confident that God will hear and answer our prayers. And then John says in verse 24 that our assurance in Christ leads to confidence in his promise. What is that promise? When we abide in him, he abides in us. And he gives us his spirit as a guarantee of his presence in our lives. We're going to talk more next week about the spirit of God. And discerning the, the true spirit of God from the false spirits in our world today. But friends, John wants us to have assurance through the power of the gospel. We've seen a compelling challenge today. John says, love one another. And it's a compelling word because there's no greater vision offered anywhere in humanity than the vision of God's children living out faithful love for one another. But it's also a challenge, friends. It's a tremendous challenge because we all know how inadequate we really are. We all know how difficult it is to truly love in this way. And we know that we cannot do it on our own. And so, friends, our only hope this morning is to once again turn to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. We need to rest in his amazing grace. We need to abide in him. And through Jesus, he will empower us to love one another. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word from the Apostle John this morning. As I said a moment ago, it is a compelling challenge. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us this morning would be inspired to live out this kind of faithful love amongst our brothers and sisters and in our world. God, help us look to you as the apex of love and follow the example of our Lord and Savior who, who laid down his life and humbled himself and sacrificed everything for our sake. God, may we seek to live in the same way, serving our brothers and sisters in love. Jesus, we can't do this without your amazing grace, and so we pray again this morning that you would help us in that, Lord. Empower us by your spirit to abide in you, to walk faithfully with you, Assure our hearts this morning, Lord. Give us confidence before you. 
as we trust in your gospel and as we seek to live out your ways in this world. We need your help, Jesus. And so we lay down our lives before you today, looking to you as our only hope. God, may you create us here at Lakes Free as a people marked and known by love for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.